We got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so we're just going to dive straight in. Go to Matthew chapter 3 and hold up your Bible when you're there. Some of you were cheating. Matthew chapter 3. We're just going to read the entire chapter, and then we're going to go back and we're going to take it in parts. So I will read... uh, the chapter to you know. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descend on Descend like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Amen. Amen. Okay, I want to dive in here. And just in this first paragraph, I want to recognize that we've been told how to interpret this passage. Okay? Um, just these first few words. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And if we've learned anything from Matthew in the last three chapters, it is that Matthew intends for us to understand the work and ministry of Jesus by way of the Old Testament, right? Every section that we've studied from, from the genealogy to the, the, the visit of the wise men to the Exodus episode, right? Everything 
is, is presented to us by way of Old Testament passages. The Old Testament, you might say, is Matthew's framework for understanding the gospel, okay? And, and when we start in this introduction to the ministry of John the Baptist, when we start and immediately there's a passage that says, this is he who was called the voice, right? Like, immediately you're, you should say, okay, well, this is how he intends for us to understand the ministry of John. So before we do anything, we need to go to Isaiah 40. Now we read some of this uh, just a moment ago, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in Isaiah 40 from the very beginning. I'm just going to read, I think, the first um, six verses. Isaiah 40. Uh, you're welcome to turn there with me. Listen to this. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And we read just a moment ago from verse 9, Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, Herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with Young. So we get this picture of this voice in the wilderness. And this voice operates as like a, like a signal, like a forerunner to the Lord coming to bring comfort to His people in all His might. Okay, So 750 years before Jesus, God comforted His people in exile with the promise of a forerunner who would prepare the way for the King of Kings, okay? And I want to just really briefly distill this passage into features of this voice in the wilderness, okay? So this voice in the wilderness is a signal of comfort. Listen, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. A voice of comfort, a signal of comfort, and it's also a signal of forgiveness. Listen, that her iniquity is pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. But there's also a cry for repentance. Listen to this. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall be made level and the rough places a plain. Why? Why make way 
for the Lord. Why lift up the valleys and and bring down the mountains? Why? Because the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. So we have this signal of comfort and this signal of forgiveness, but also this call to repentance because God's glory is about to be unveiled, okay? Well, Matthew says that that voice is a prophecy of the work and ministry of John, okay? That voice, that that signal of comfort, that signal of forgiveness, and that call to repentance. All right, flip back to Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to keep reading. Matthew chapter 3. You beat me there, I'm sure. Okay, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Okay. (laughs) Okay, right? Locusts are crickets, guys. (laughs) This This should be... Okay, whenever you uh, stumble across a bizarre and random series of details, don't just let it be. There's a lot of people who like go out of their way to say, you know, it used to be culturally that people would eat crickets. Sure. Okay, sure, maybe. Um, But we didn't hear anything about the diet of the kings. (laughs) We didn't hear anything about the diet of... Mary and Joseph. We, we see now here four bizarre details. One, he, he's wearing a, a garment of camel's hair. He's got a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. This should cause your ears to... I would say your ears to perk. I don't think that actually happens, except maybe in, in dogs or something. You sh- this, should, this should be a signal to you, and you should start looking, okay? What is he talking about? Well, I'm going to give you a sneak preview to Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus says that John is uh, the promised return of the spirit of Elijah. Okay? Elijah. Now, this is a great excuse if you're reading this in personal devotions. This is a great excuse to stop and read the entire history of Elijah. It is amazing. A brilliant demonstration of grace in the midst of a people that had gone and pursued idolatry, but also fantastic story. Just fantastic story. But I want to go back specifically to an instance in Elijah's life because I think, I think that this is not here just vaguely to teach us to look to Elijah as some sort of interpretive lens to understand this passage, but I think this passage is intentionally causing us to remember the most significant episode in Elijah's life, which has major parallels to this passage, okay? So I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. Now, we're not going to read this entire story, but I'm going to highlight aspects of this story, and I do encourage you at uh, maybe later today or sometime this week to read the whole thing. Okay, so... 1 Kings 18, Elijah, who is recognized as a prophet who wanders the wilderness wearing a camel hair garment and a a leather belt around his waist, particularly uncomfortable lifestyle. But this is how he is known, okay, as a prophet who wanders through the wilderness um, and, and, and calls the people to repentance 
in, in, a, in a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt, okay? Now, he appears before the wicked king. The wicked king, this is uh, verse 17. When, when the wicked king Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, this seems like, why would the king do this? Okay, why would the, this one random Joe says, you gather your whole nation and all of the prophets avail, and you meet me at Mount Carmel. Why? Why would this be in his interest? Because, at least right now, there are no visible God followers in Israel. Uh, at some point later on in this episode, uh, Elijah says to the Lord, I'm all alone. And he says, no, I've saved for myself 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee. Okay? But those 7,000 are clearly not evident. Okay? So... Basically, the entire nation of Israel has turned to Baal and has followed the prophets of Baal in idolatry. And Elijah appears to be the last faithful in Israel. All right. So this is not uh, this is not uh, this is not a, a, a bad bet for the king. He says, oh, you're going to bring you're going to bring you one person, you you soul follower of God. You're going you're gonna to rally everyone and try and demonstrate to them when, when you're surrounded by a nation who's following Baal and you're surrounded by 450 prophets of Baal. This, you're going to make a, make a move. This is the, the king saying, this is an opportunity to finally and forever smash Israel's potential covenant faithfulness to God. Okay, So Ahab then turns and he gathers all the nation of Israel at Mount Carmel And that's where the story begins. Okay. Elijah came near to all the people, this is verse 21, and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left of the prophet left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Everybody agreed? Everybody agreed? Like, all the people of Israel, like, it sounds reasonable. Sounds reasonable. Like, the, the God who can, who can send fire from heaven? Yeah, we'll, we'll worship that God. Okay. So they all agree, and they set up, the, 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 the priests of Baal set up their sacrifice, and they, and they do their little rain dance or whatever, and they're cutting themselves and crying out to Baal, who is, we know, Not a real God. Not a real God. And listen, they're doing this for hours. And then Elijah says, it's 27, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he's a God. 
Either he's musing or he is relieving himself, which means going to the bathroom, by the way. Um, Or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. I love when when this happens in, in the narratives of the Old Testament. Listen to this. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Right? There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So you've got the, the prophets of Baal bleeding beside this dry altar. Right? And this is where the story really picks up. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain about two seeds of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to start a fire. This probably, it's not, it's not, don't do this. (laughs) They said, okay. And they did it. And he said, do it a second time. (laughs) Soaking with water now. He says, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So Elijah has got a soaking wet altar. And then he steps back. And listen to this. Elijah said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Shaboom! That's what you should read. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones, and the dust, and licked up, listen to that, licked up the water that was in the trench. Boom! Why? That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Who caused the people of Israel, a nation of idolaters, to repent? Who? God did. And listen to this. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Listen to this. What happens? I think this is just so neat. What happens when the people repent? They're in a famine right now. There's there's been no rain for a long, long time. What happens, do you think, when the people repent? A great water pours down from heaven. The blessing of God pours down on the land of Israel, right? The people repent and they're washed in God's water. Okay. 
So 800 years before Jesus, a fiery-eyed prophet of God named Elijah wandered lonely in the wilderness, clad in camel's hair, bound in a leather belt. And he called on a nation of idolaters to repent. The cloaked prophet calls Israel to repent, and he humiliates the false teachers of Israel, and he promises fire. And when they repent, they are washed. Okay? Now, Matthew says that John is that prophet. Amen? John is that prophet. And we, are, we have now been given two interpretive lenses, both from the Old Testament, to understand the role and the purpose of John, the forerunner to Jesus. John is the voice in the wilderness. John is the promised Elijah. And his arrival serves as a signal to the people of Israel. What does that signal say? It says, the king is coming to comfort Israel. The king is coming to comfort Israel. Comfort, comfort. He will bring the spirit to his people and fire to those who led them astray. Okay, now look. Turn back to Matthew 3. He saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, and he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You, you want to understand what's going on here? Well, you've already been given the tools. You've already been given the tools. False teachers have led the people into idolatry. And the prophet comes and says, no more. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What does this mean? You've already been given the tools to understand what this means. Comfort. Comfort. A call to repentance. A promise of forgiveness. And sure destruction for those false teachers who have led Israel astray. Make sense? Okay. So, I want to I deal with a theological problem here. All right. It's this, this passage thus far, if you, if you start in the, the introduction to John the Baptist and you go all the way to, to his promise that the king is coming to bring the Spirit and fire, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winning wing fork in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The king is coming and he will burn the chaff. Now, if you are a nation distinct by way of having violated the covenant over and over and over again, how is the king's arrival good news? How? How is the king's arrival good news? If God's people had broken the covenant, wouldn't the king's arrival signal their destruction? Right? What's, what's the penalty for violating the covenant of God? Right? Endeavor's <laughs> over. Right. So you get this picture. This guy says, hey, uh, repent. The king's coming. 
And when he comes, he's going to, he's going to gather his wheat, but, but the chaff, he's, unquenchable fire is coming for the chaff. And you're thinking, as a whole bunch of chaff, you're thinking, oh, how is this good news? How is this word of comfort? Okay. The answer's at the end. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to what? Fulfill all righteousness. Here's a question. How is the arrival of the kingdom of heaven good news to the enemies of God? You should be sitting in this place of tension. If you know anything about yourself, you should place yourself in the category of chaff. Right? So how is the arrival of the kingdom of heaven good news to the enemies of God? And the answer is that Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness. It's not there by accident. Right on the heels of John warning the enemies of God that fire is coming. It's not there by accident. The, the arrival of the king who comforts and the king who baptizes with the Spirit is only a comfort to Israel if he stands as their substitute. That's the answer to the question. But the truth is that Jesus fulfills our call to righteousness. And Jesus bears our sins. And Jesus died on our behalf. So His coming kingdom is a comfort to His people. And that means something beautiful. Let's keep reading. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now follow the logic of this passage. Okay, step back and follow the logic of this passage. Listen, John comes and he says, repent because the king is coming. And he has the audacity to claim that that king is going to comfort a sinful people. How? By fulfilling all righteousness on their behalf. And if you've taken off your, your garment of sin, and you've put on the garment of Christ's righteousness, and then you stand before a holy God, He'll be as pleased with you as He is with His only Son. Yes, these words are here to confirm the divinity and the Messiahship and the King 
dumb of Jesus. But it's also here as a sneak preview of the words you're going to hear when you stand living and breathing before the Ancient of Days. Because when we wear the righteousness of Christ, we hear the words, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. Amen? Okay. So how do we apply it? No, just stick this in your pocket. Do something about it. How do we apply it? Step one's easy. Repent. Repent. I don't pretend to be speaking exclusively to those who have already invested all of their time and energy to seek Christ. I, uh, I don't pretend that this is a room full of Christians. And also, I don't pretend that all the Christians in this room are done with the work of repenting. <laughs> John's call is an invitation to you. Repent. Make way for the King of Kings. He's a comfort to his blood-bought people. And those who prepare for the king will stand in God's favor, for they will wear his son's righteousness. Okay, we say all the time, we talk all the time in terms of repentance, but I just want to give real quickly uh, maybe a three-step process. What does it look like to repent? you got this thing in your life. It won't go away. You want it to go away, but it won't. And you kind of like it being there anyways. Okay? How do you repent from your sins? One, reflect. Stop, sit, reflect soberly on your actions and your thoughts and your words. Take time, sit in an empty room and think about what you said or how you behaved or what you were thinking and, and don't justify it. Just, just think about it. And then trace your motivations. Why is one of the most helpful tools in our tool belt, asking what? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? You don't do anything for no reason. We are reasonable creatures. You don't do anything for no reason. You're looking for something. You're chasing after something. Find out what it is. Take the time. Invest the time to find out what it is. And then, take whatever that thing is that you're chasing... And compare it to God. Compare it to God and all of His majesty and His love and His patience and His promises. Repent does not just mean merely stop sinning. I can't tell you how many, how many times we talk to people and they're like, I haven't done it in the week and a half. As if the work that we're called to is just to Stare at the whiskey bottle and just not do it. No. We repent by, by gazing upon God in all of His majesty and beauty and all of His promises and the table set before us. The invitation to come and lay our burdens down at His feet and enjoy His company because we are, we are clean by work of Christ. 
You want to stop sinning? Fall in love with God. That's how you stop sinning. Okay, so step two, prepare. John's call to repentance is driven by an expectation of the coming kingdom. We repent as one part of our preparation for the arrival of that kingdom. Now, okay. As Christ followers, everything we do is is done in anticipation of the coming kingdom. If you're ever trying to to repent or you're trying to be more faithful in in, in studying the scriptures, you're trying to pray more, you're trying to to be more uh, evangelical and tell people more people about Jesus and you're just trying and you have no no looming hope in the coming kingdom it's going to be real hard <laughs> and, and and you're going to stifle out it's a kingdom hope that drives all of our obedience okay so how do we prepare for that kingdom besides repenting well as soon as we hear and absorb the call of John the Baptist to repent for the kingdom is coming, we then go preach that same message of repentance to the whole world. And I sort of cutely threw this in there. Labor on behalf of the stones. I want to show you something that I love in this passage. John says, Don't presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You are those stones. You are those stones. The nations were called for this reason. Read Romans 9, 10, 11. We've been grafted in. Wild vines grafted in. The nations are invited to the table. So, go deliver the invitation. We got nations, dozens, more than dozens of nations uh, at uh, Ladera Palms. Lots and lots of people from all over the world. Like 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away. Go see him. Deliver the invitation. Hey, just, just so you know, you could be a child of Abraham with all the promises entailed. Th- that's your story. Go back however many generations. I don't know when you heard the gospel or your parents or your parents' parents, whatever. But we are the nations that God was willing to raise up. Stones made into hearts of flesh. Okay. And step three, enjoy. Enjoy. Um, If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, who was righteous in your place, then when God looks upon you, he is well pleased. I'm so tempted to ask you to raise your hand. But I don't want to do that because if somebody's feeling uncomfortable because they're not a Christ follower, I don't want you to feel outed here. But I want you to think the words, that's me, after I read this sentence, if it is you, okay? If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And you need to think, that's me. Okay, if you're in Christ, then when God looks upon you, He is well pleased. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. We wear the righteousness of Christ. We relate to God 
according to the righteousness of Jesus. He adopted us. If you grasp this, it will change the way you pray and the way you live. It will motivate your obedience and it will drive your gratitude. Let me tell you what it will do. I, for years, was terrified of disappointing my boss, whoever that boss just happened to be at the time. Terrified. Not necessarily because I'd lose my job, just because I really wanted him to be pleased with me or her. Sometimes I just go out into the world and I meet new people and I'm like, oh, I really hope they think I'm cool. I really hope they want to be friends with me. What if, what if the God of the universe was pleased with you? Would a trifle like that really matter that much? I don't think so. And it will change the way you pray. This is why the author of Hebrews says, approach the throne of grace with confidence. You don't have to be afraid to talk to God. You wear Christ's righteousness. Talk to Him. Sit in His presence and listen. It'll change the way you live. It'll motivate your obedience and will drive your gratitude. So enjoy what is, I think, the sweetest gift of God in Christ. That is His affection. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.